Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hey friend, I wanted to pop in here and share some good news before we jump into today's wonderful interview. My new book, The Tapping Solution to Create Lasting Change, is now being sold. You can pick it up on Amazon, you can pre-order it, and the official launch date is September 4th. After that, you can pick it up at your local bookstores. It's called The Tapping Solution to Create Lasting Change. And right now, before the book actually launches, if you pre-order, I have some amazing bonuses. I'm going to be hosting at the end of this month a special tapping masterclass. So if you love tapping or if you're new and you want to learn more about how tapping can help you, join me for this live event. And you'll also receive three incredible tapping meditations that you can download immediately. So check that out. I'm putting the links in the notes. So let me tell you about today's guest. We're welcoming her back. It's Nancy Levin. She is the author of four books, including her brand new book called The New Relationship Blueprint. And she is a master integrative coach and creator of several coaching programs. I know Nancy personally, and she's just an incredible woman. I don't want to pick favorites when it comes to my podcast because I really do have a great time talking to everyone. But I can't help it. I have to tell you that this is one of my favorite conversations. We are diving in and talking about relationships and how oftentimes our past can impact our present moment and our future when it comes to relationships. So whether you are single or in a relationship, you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. I know I did. So without any further ado, here's Nancy. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Jess. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I should say welcome back because this is your second time on the podcast. You're right. (laughs) And um, last time we had a fascinating conversation about our relationship with money. And today we're diving into something very, it can be very intense for me. Money Mm -hmm. can too, but we're talking about (laughs) romantic relationships, which can Mm -hmm. get very complicated for many people. (laughs) Um, And I just love to start off by hearing from you why this has become, because you're a personal friend of mine, and I've seen how this has become a passion for you um, to support others in this area of their life. Tell us a little bit about your journey and why you felt it was so important to have this conversation for those who are single as well as in a relationship. Yeah. So, you know, really, this this work, the new relationship blueprint, is for anyone who is, you know, single, who is dating, who's allergic to relationship, who is in a relationship that needs some sort of an upgrade. Because what I started realizing is that as we're moving through life and moving through relationships, there are patterns, and there are patterns that we're repeating from childhood. And it's important to be able to first recognize the way that we're playing out dynamics in our lives 
and realize that we can shift the dynamic. Because I first of all believe that relationship is one long continuum with a revolving door over there. So there might be different partners, different friends, different family members, different bosses, acquaintances, coworkers, whatever. And we'll always be replaying these patterns until we get a hold of them and can make a shift. So the important thing here is to remember that whatever it is that we've been imprinted with came to us unconsciously, got imprinted on us as children. And as adults, as grown-ups, we get to make conscious choices so that we're not being driven by something that we didn't make a conscious choice about as a child. So this work is really important to me personally because, you know, I went through I went through a horrible divorce. <laughs> and, you know, y'all can check that out in Jump in Your Life Will Appear, my earlier book. I went through a horrible divorce and after that divorce, I really was in this place of essentially like screw this, I am never getting into a relationship again. I am done with romance. I am done with love. <laughs> and I went into a couple of year period where I deeply was working on myself. I was, it was my own dark night of the soul. I was digging deep into my past. I was digging deep into being able to connect the dots and put the constellation together of my own life and my own patterns and what precipitated the breakdown of my marriage and the ultimate divorce. And I got to this place where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm healed. I'm woman. Hear me roar. I've got no triggers. I'm like, why would I ever want to bring anyone else back into my life again? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, you know, as, as just life would have it, I find myself, I find myself in embarking upon another relationship. And then everything that I thought was healed and fixed inside of me was essentially thrown out the window. Because when we're rubbing up against another person, figuratively and literally, our, you know, our stuff is going to come up. Our issues are going to come up. And that's actually the nature of relationship. Relationship's not here to save us. It's here to grow us. And we will always attract toward us the people who will activate our core wounds. Our core wounds will lock together like a match made in heaven. And we have to stop thinking about that as a problem. Right. You, there is this one line in your book that I loved. Well, it's two. You said, mm -hmm. relationship is the number one school for personal growth and spiritual development in our modern world. Our relationships are teachers that help us become more whole, conscious human beings. Yeah. Uh, what I really like about this idea of a relationship is instead of looking at the wound or the struggle that we're having as the reason we're not good enough or the reason we just got unlucky with love, you're really framing it as this is the opportunity yes. for us to do deeper work that not only will impact our relationship, but the way that we view ourselves and the way that we show up in life. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I really, I really frame it this way because it's, it's, it's the sort of crucible or the cauldron for us to work through these issues from the past 
and be able to emerge differently, to be able to show up differently in our lives and in our relationships. And, you know, the bottom line is it's going to come back to me. You know, we all, we all want to point the finger at someone else. Oh, if our partner was different, if only he or she did X, Y, Z, or didn't do X, Y, Z. And this book is really about being able to put the attention back on the self because the work actually is here. You know, there's the famous saying of, you know, like there's no one else out there. And it's true. Our relationships become mirrors for us to see ourselves more clearly so that we can evolve. And, you know, we have this idea that relationships should be harmonious. And I think that that's part of what has us in this place of thinking that when we're in conflict or when we have differences, that there's a problem. And so instead of thinking about things as problems, I want to start thinking about things as portals, you know, into a new way of relating and a new way of being. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's really interesting about this work is that it's not only relevant for those who are single and looking for love, it's also relevant for those who are in a relationship. You know, mm-hmm. no matter where you are in your status of being single or not it's an important conversation I remember like recently I think it was a few months ago I came across my journals from when I was in my 20s oh lord Mm. oh god so (laughs) painful so painful um and I was looking through all these journals and I was like wow I dated the same guy yeah with four different names yeah different face but it was the same person. Yeah, that's that relationship continuum. That's that revolving door. Exactly. Right. So tell me a little bit about this. It's incredible how life does this. And you know, the challenge is if you don't have this awareness, then you make the assumption or have the belief, well, all men or all women are like this, because that is your experience when in reality, you're attracting the very thing that you need to heal. And I think it's hard to see it in ourselves in the moment, but it's very easy to see it in like girlfriends and friends. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, you're dating the same guy. Um, wh- why do you think this happens? So the, you know, the people we draw closest to us will trigger us the most always mm. because like you were just saying, they're essentially reflecting back to us a part of ourselves that we've disowned. So for example, a big quality that I disowned for much of my life was needy. So I overcompensate by being an overachiever, super responsible, super independent. And then I start drawing toward me people who are needy. And I point the finger, you know, oh my God, you're so needy. They're so needy. And what it really is, is the invitation for me to own and integrate needy in myself. So this is the way that our relationships help us become more whole because they're helping us reclaim the parts of ourselves that we've disowned. Yes. And when someone gets into an argument or even, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just, you're with your spouse or someone and they just, they trigger you. Like something they said really annoys you. And in that moment, it's very easy to look at them and list the reasons why that comment or that behavior was wrong. But we're learning here that it's important to take the time to reflect because the one common thing in all of our relationships is ourselves. 
Absolutely. So when we <laughs> when we notice that, yep. how do we stop and gain clarity as to what could be happening below the surface? Great. And this really, this is the ninja move. Okay. <laughs> is really to, you know, and, and, and at first it might be challenging to be able to do it in the moment. It's one of those things that like we do sort of after the fact, but the ninja move is to actually be in the moment of trigger to be able to slow things down, literally to even say to, to your partner or whoever you're engaging with, you know, I need to slow things down a minute. I need to take a break because what I'm recognizing is that something's happening in me and I need to check into it first. Mm. So realizing that when we're being triggered, we're being triggered by someone's behavior. And underneath that behavior is a quality. So like I was saying before, needy or lazy was another big trigger of mine. Needy and lazy are the big ones <laughs> and irresponsible. <laughs> so and, when you say trigger, that's your, uh-huh. your fear is that someone will think that you're like that or and you're also fear, you're fearing that you'll attract that. Yeah. So it's, it's great, great distinction. So it starts with, with I'm not that. So anything that we are, anything that we are rejecting or disowning, it starts there. I'm not lazy. I'm not needy. I'm not irresponsible. Then what happens is we start to draw toward us people with those qualities. Then we find ourselves being triggered by behavior where those qualities are at the root. So an easy example for me is my ex-husband. Uh, you know, so here, here I, you know, here I am, I'm overcompensating for the existence of these qualities in with me, within me, because every quality is within us. We can, there's no quality we see in another that isn't with, that isn't in ourselves. So it was very easy for me to say, I'm not irresponsible. I'm not lazy. I'm a workaholic. In fact, I'm an overachiever. And I draw toward me a man who I marry who's like the dictionary definition of lazy, like actually doesn't want to work. So that becomes very triggering for me. And it's easy for me to still stay in that place of, well, I'm not lazy. I work. The different, what we have to pay attention to is that we're going to, it's going to present differently, differently in each of us. So the way it presents in him is he doesn't want to work. The way my lazy presents in me is on a Tuesday afternoon. Sometimes I like to lay on the couch and binge watch five episodes of my favorite show. That's my lazy. And so I have to find my, I have to find how lazy presents in me. It gives me compassion for the quality. Now, I don't have to like his behavior, but it helps me understand that it exists in me too. Right. And then, and that there are gifts in the quality. So for me, the gifts in my lazy are, it gives me downtime. It gives me a chance to unwind or relax or rejuvenate or laugh or cry. Definitely. So what I'm curious about is how do you make the distinction between when something triggers you going within and realizing this is something I, that's triggering me that that I can let go of. This is an emotional reaction mm-hmm. that I don't need to, that I can handle and, and heal on my own. And when is it the moment where, where you think, well, something isn't right? Because I had the habit in my past where 
in the relationship, they could do whatever mm-hmm. they wanted. And I didn't want to rock the boat. Right. And speak up and say, no, I don't think yeah. that's appropriate or I, I don't think that's right. So I think there's like this, uh, sometimes there's this conflict between, well, I don't know, maybe it's one in the same. You you do the inner work and then you gain clarity. I, I'm curious as to what you think. Like, what's the distinction between doing the inner work and then actually telling the person that what they're doing, you don't find right? Right. So so again, keeping it in the space of the I. So mm-hmm. I notice that when you do X, Y, Z, I feel. Yes. And then being able to say, and, and to honor myself moving forward, if this occurs again, so that I can take care of myself, here's what I'm going to do. Yes. I so- love that start <laughs> of the sentence of simply saying this, when you do that, this is how I feel. Right. So, so in, in other words, it's not, it's not, you can't do X, Y, Z anymore, or don't do that anymore, or don't say that, you know, it's, so it's not, it's not that it's coming, it's coming from, I notice that when you, you know, that when you raise your voice at me, I feel scared. So I'm just letting you know that to honor my, to honor myself, if this keeps happening to take care of myself. I'm going to let you know that I'm going to leave the house and walk around the block and then come back. Right. And then the kicker is we have to uphold that end of the bargain. That's where we get stuck often. And then it be, you know, this, because really what we're talking about is a boundary issue. So what would that look like holding our end of the bargain? That, that when this happens again, we actually leave the house and go walk around the block. Right. And remind the person I, you know, even to say like, you know, when, whenever it was a week ago, I let you know that I was going to go do this. And now I'm doing this. I'll be back. Yes. Definitely. Because it, because it's, so here's, here's what I want to get across. It's not so much about the other person not raising their voice again. We have no control over what someone is going to do or not do we only have control about the way that we respond or react. It's not up to anyone else to uphold our boundary. Even it's up to us to honor and respect the boundary that we set. So it's up to us to make sure that we take care of ourselves in the situation. Yes. Absolutely. And remember that we have choice. You know, like I was saying before, I can have compassion for late for my lazy and not like my ex-husband's behavior. I can still have compassion for the quality, but still not like what he does. And then I have to make a choice to leave or stay or whatever. I've got to weigh, you know, weigh the consequences or weigh, you know, what's really the priority for me here. I think we've all had the experience of being really angry and writing that email and then pressing send and go Mm -hmm. and then, you know, time passes and we go, oh my goodness, what did I do? Or saying something in that moment. And then when we feel calmer, we look back and think, that's not actually how I feel. That Mm -hmm. was just how I was reacting in the moment. So I think having that space is so important because then you can communicate in an effective way. I don't think I've ever had a really great conversation with a resolution when I was in the fog of anger. Right. Mm -mm. You can't see clearly. Nope. And, 
and you know we we want to slow down the escalation so that we don't go to that place where we're you know we're essentially blinded you know yes and hijacked we're really hijacked by the emotion and we're we're in that sort of bob and weave around what do i need to do or say to make everything be okay even as we're in the anger <laughs> because so many of us are fearing conflict. You know, you named it before about, you know, not wanting to rock the boat. And so we fear conflict to such a degree that we're used to taking the hit. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll say whatever I need to say to just make this be okay so that we're not in a fight anymore. Hmm. And I actually take a different tactic around that <laughs> because I want, because if we stay in that space, we are, we're really abandoning ourselves. We're really doing a disservice to ourselves. And the goal to me isn't resolution even. The goal is that we create a container in our relationship that can actually hold the truth of who you are and the truth of who I am. That it's not actually dependent on our agreement. That we can have differences and the differences don't necessarily need to mean conflict and that conflict itself isn't even a, a bad thing. You know, I have a whole piece in the book about cozying up to conflict right. and it's really, it's really the invitation to, can I allow my truth to be here and can I operate from a place that feels true to me instead of in reaction to you? Yes. What I think your book does really well is it, it creates a space where we can start to be curious. And mm -hmm. I think that's the key word is that when something triggers us, instead of looking at those things at face value, we get a little bit more curious and begin to ask ourselves questions mm -hmm. as to why this could be triggering us. And it never ends. That's what I. It, it doesn't ever end. <laughs> it never ends. It's 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 like a it's a lifestyle. It's it's a way of being. Yeah, and it is. Um, you know, I notice that I'm in, I am newly, well, two years up, but I, I'm considered newly married. And mm -hmm. there are moments when something triggers me or I have an emotional reaction and I get curious and I go, oh my goodness, my mother would do this. Totally. And then I'm like, oh, it's not even, it's not even him. Like, right. This is yep. a silly, it's, it, this is such a minor example, but it actually came up this week because I was chatting with my brother Nick about it. I am very blessed that I have a husband who loves to cook and he cooks every night. Like it just got to the point where he cooks dinner every night. And if he was a woman, I feel like in our society, people wouldn't look at that as a big deal. But because he's a man, every time it comes up, people are like, oh my goodness, like your husband cooks every night. <laughs> and... Every time he, I was realizing that when he was cooking, I was really grateful because I hate to cook, but I would have this like immense feeling of guilt, like mm. I was doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I would apologize to him mm -hmm. for him cooking. And he would be like, well, I have to eat anyway. And I like, <laughs> and like, I, and I like to cook. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting to take a step back 
because anything, anytime you're triggered or feel guilty or feel unsettled, yep. then yep. other little things come up, right? That's like right. They begin yep. to, it, it can snowball. And yep. they gang up on you. <laughs> they gang up. And I took a second and, and remembered, well, my mother was a working mom and she resented be, having to cook. And yep. so I had this fear that I'm going to, he's going to be resentful to me. Yep. And he's never shown any sign of being resentful at all. Right. But it doesn't matter. I still have the same reaction because that's what I knew as a child. Not that my mom always, you know, made us feel like that every day, but you know, she was a working mom and this was another thing on her plate when she got home from work and she didn't enjoy it. You you bring up something really important, which is the way that we start overlaying pieces of the past on the present. Yes. And that, you know, I know that for example, so in my current relationship there are many ways in which my boyfriend right now is similar to my ex-husband, like in the good ways. <laughs> <laughs> and there are also, you know, some, there are also some qualities that, you know, that trigger me, of course. Um, and there have been times, especially early on, where I couldn't even see the person in front of me because my ex-husband's face was there. Mm. Yeah. My ex-husband's voice was there. I couldn't even relate to who was actually physically present because there was so much overlay. Because we're so used to reacting and responding in a particular way, we start to filter things through a certain kind of lens. And so we we only have like velcro almost for one way. Yes. We only start receiving things in one way. And so a big piece of my work in this particular relationship has been to allow, first of all, allow this person in the present moment to be himself, <laughs> not, not bring in the overlay and me have to check myself. Like, is this present? Is this past? Like what's happening right now and what's happening in me? And I have a choice now. I can actually do this different. Yeah. I can do I can do something different here than what I did in the past. And you know, that's to me like that's almost like the nugget of how this book came about because I started really thinking about the whole thing of, you know, how do I even be in relationship after the one that fell apart or broke my heart? Like how do I even be in relationship a, a new relationship. How do I be in relationship again? And it was, you and had like, you had a, what, is, what was it, 14 year marriage? 18, 18 year marriage. Yeah. So how do I actually do this again without doing it again, essentially? And, you know, I just want to do like a little asterisk here about the way that this even applies to anyone listening who's in a long term or in a relationship of any sort. I'm not saying you have to get out and do it again with someone else. Marion Woodman, the who just recently passed, the brilliant Jungian scholar and writer and just all around amazing teacher, talked about having many marriages within her marriage. So she had a marriage with the same man that spanned several decades. And she talked about having three or four marriages within that marriage. Mm. And that's always been something that's been interesting to me, especially in this work. So, you know, that's why I said before, if you're in a relationship that needs a bit of a boost, <laughs> needs a little bit of an up level, 
it's not about, you know, throwing everything away and starting all over. It's how do we actually inside of this context, inside of this container, how do we bring in these principles that can support us in growing more, you know, growing together and growing and growing individually as well. Cause I think that's part of it too. You know, the whole, I mean, that's a whole other part of the conversation, but even just going back into the whole Disney dynamic, <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> you know, and I start the book with this whole story about, you know, Jerry Maguire and the whole, you complete me thing. And I remember watching that movie and I was in my marriage thinking, oh my God, it's not you complete me. It's you deplete me, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then how do we come into this place of that being you compliment, you compliment me so that there's an enhancement, but it's not about, you know, it's not about waiting to be saved or rescued or fixed or about going in to save rescue or fix because Lord knows I did that. And, you know, that doesn't work either. <laughs> yep. I know personally. Right. <laughs> um, there's, there's one more thing I want to ask you about um, as we wrap up here. But I just, I found this part so fascinating. So I'm just going to mm. read mm-hmm. a paragraph that I love from your book. You wrote, I don't really believe in closure. It's one of mm. those bud- buzzwords that those of us in the self-development field like to use. We want to put the final period on the past and move on. And I agree mm. it's important to let the past go, but I don't really believe there is such a thing as 100% done. Growth isn't linear after all, and our issues are multi-layered. Mm-hmm. Many teachers speak of growth as a spiral. Can you expand on that? I just found that I, to be so fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I know. I I. I feel really strongly about this because what I found in my own experience and what I found in the thousands of people I coach is that in the beginning, there's this, there's sort of this question of like, why is this happening? Or why do I keep feeling uh, pulled back into the past? Or why can't I let this go? Or why... Um, you know, why are the memories haunting me or whatever the why? And it got me thinking about, it's not it. The why is the wrong question. (laughs) Why is the wrong question? It's about, it's really more about like, how can I be in acceptance first of all of what is. So, you know, we absolutely create our own suffering by our resistance to accept what is. So the why isn't even important because it's happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to start actually being in a a receptive place to receive what I would even call the sucker punch. So I know like the ways in which I knew and still know, I mean, I'm out of my marriage now nearly 10 years and There's still, there's still the piece of, oh, an inside joke that only he would get, no one would get but him. Or there's still a memory of, I remember when I canceled my landline, I was canceling a phone number many years after the divorce, but I finally got rid of the landline. And I like had all these feelings about, you know, getting rid of our number. So that's what started getting me thinking about like, 
there isn't closure. There isn't something, there isn't this, you know, there isn't this nice tidy bow. And, and the seeking of closure is what keeps us feeling raw. Instead, if we can actually just be with, okay, it's, it's a continuum. It's part of my past. It's actually still part of my present. And it will probably be part of my future. It's part of who I am. It's part of my makeup. And, and allow that to be there. Allow the feelings to come. Allow memories to come. Allow sadness to come. Allow happiness to come. I mean, something that's actually only recently begun to happen for me is allowing myself to remember the joy because I've been so engrossed in the pain and the devastation of the marriage itself and the divorce that I had completely wiped out any of the joy that existed there. And there was joy. Yeah. And I've, and I've recently allowed myself to like reflect on the joy and the good. So I, I think, I think the wanting of closure creates suffering for us. And I think that, that, that if we had the quote unquote closure we were looking for, it would actually be cutting off something that's really valuable for us, like, like a life force even, or a vitality. I think another danger of this mentality of needing complete closure is that when we have a moment when we're triggered by a memory and the happy memories can be just as triggering as the sad memories. Absolutely. When we have that moment, then we think to ourselves, I'm doing it wrong. I can't believe this is still mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like it gets so dangerous. Instead of letting it come and go, mm -hmm. where we don't, the moment we say, I shouldn't feel this way, right. we turn it into a monster. Absolutely. That, I agree with that completely. The, the minute we start beating ourselves up for still feeling this way, is it, it does become it does become a monster. Right. Well, I have just found your book so fascinating to read. And um, and like I said, this isn't something that you do once. It's a way of lo of life. And it, it makes life so much easier. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. the thing is when we when we begin to have the conversation, like even just from talking with you today, I have never heard it put like that way of layering the past into the present mm -hmm. and what a great question to ask ourselves when we're upset am i is this really what i'm upset about or am i layering something yeah from the past yes. and so often we do a lot of layering we do we and, do <laughs> and, and the awareness that's the thing it, it doesn't mean that we'll we'll stop doing it and we'll never do it again but simply having this dialogue within ourselves now allows us to acknowledge it and move forward instead of getting stuck in it. And I think it's, you know, I think it's really important what, you know, to, to bring in that piece of awareness, to be able to see ourselves more clearly as we are relating and responding with, with others, because, you know, we, we tend to come from this very black and white place. We tend to come from this like either or, or, you know, we, 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 we relate to things like, uh, you know, if this keeps happening, then I have to leave or, you know, something, we, we get very dramatic about things. And so if we can stay in the space of ease of, oh, this is, this is an opportunity. This today, to, this is today's lesson. <laughs> this is what we're doing here now. You know, it's both, it's more both and than either or. Yes. <laughs> 
I love that. Well, Nancy, <laughs> where can people pick up your book and connect with you? My website, nancylevin.com, is where all the action is. <laughs> okay. Perfect. And then book wherever books are sold. Yes. Right? Yep. Isn't that yep. nice to say? Wherever books wherever are sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> exactly. Wherever <laughs> books are sold. Um, well, I loved having you. And usually we, we end with two questions, but you've been on the show before. I'm curious as to if this answer will change. So I'll, okay. I will ask you, if you could be okay. any animal, what would you be and why? Oh, my goodness. You answered it once before. I don't remember what I you know said. I know I did. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> I, you know what? The first the first animal that just popped in my head was a giraffe. Really? Yeah. So, why? Why a giraffe? Why? I think because I'm so short that I would love to like have that high vantage point. <laughs> right. I mean, I realize giraffes have short legs, but they've got that long, tall neck. <laughs> so isn't it crazy to think that unicorns don't exist, but giraffes do? And giraffes right, are is, so actually. much weirder. They're like so, so much strange. weirder. It is. It's totally true. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Yeah. A giraffe. Well, I'm yeah. I'm short like you, so I I can see <laughs> yeah. uh, why that can be very tempting. Well, yeah. Nancy, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Jess.